This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Book of Galatians. Uh, we've uh, been taking a look at this uh, over the last several weeks. Uh, Galatians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 23 tonight. <laughs> For those that uh, may have missed out on anything so far, uh, basically the whole idea behind the book of Galatians is the gospel is very simple. Faith in Christ saves you and your faith and faith alone is the only thing that can give you a right standing before God. Your sin condition has broken your uh, relationship with God. The cross makes it right. The only hope that we have of justification or right standing before God is by faith. But there's some folks uh, who had been uh, discussing some things with the churches uh, at Galatia and had been saying, hey, it's great that you're following Jesus, but you also need to keep the Old Testament law. You still need to keep the Levitical law. You still need to keep the feast days. You still need to keep circumcision for men. Uh, You still need to to follow everything in the past. So really, Christianity is just an add-on to Judaism, and those people are sometimes referred to as Judaizers. And Paul says that couldn't be further from the truth. Either you're justified by the law or you're justified by Jesus. There's no two ways about it. And if you're justified by the law, you are not justified. If you're justified by Christ, it's the only hope that you have. And so we find ourselves here tonight. and, And some people might be saying like, Pastor, haven't we been talking about this for weeks? Paul spends a great deal of time in the entire book of Galatians talking about the importance of faith versus your works and how your, your works really are completely and totally useless when it comes to our right standing before God, and faith is the only hope that we have. And tonight, uh, I've entitled tonight's message, The Shortcoming of the Law and the Sufficiency of Jesus. Really, we come down to a contrast here of how the law, not good enough to save you, but Christ is the only thing that can ultimately save us. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse number 23 is where we're going to start. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. So before we knew to put our faith in Christ, we were kept under the law. Wherefore, so for that reason, the law was our schoolmaster. That word schoolmaster is going to be really important in a little bit when we talk. To bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Again, justification by faith alone. This is why it's critical when we know of anybody who's caught in a religious system that says you've got to do all of these things and then hopefully you'll make it to heaven. We need to understand that that isn't biblical. We're justified by Christ, by faith alone. Uh, verse number um, 25. But after faith is come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Neither is there Jew, nor Greek, nor is there bond, nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
our family had the opportunity uh, uh, a week ago to go on a family vacation. We try to take a family vacation every summer together as a family and, and uh, do some fun stuff, and make good memories together and take lots of pictures and stuff like that. And, and sometimes in the, in the past, it's been uh, going and grabbing a hotel in Waikiki or maybe going over to a neighbor island or somewhere like that just to get some time together as a family. And where you go and how much money you spend is not important. Making memories together as a family that will last a lifetime, super important. So um, our daughter, McKeeley, was really excited. The place we're staying has a tennis court. She said, I can't wait to go play tennis. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. Uh, we had a tennis racket. We had tennis balls. And she was so excited uh, to go out there and play tennis. And so me and the boys get together on the, in the morning. It's hot, hot outside. Uh, middle of the day, we decide to go out and play tennis. Uh, and so we get out there, and, and she gets her tennis racket ready and stuff like that. And, and so Thatcher is over on one side of the court with her and uh, teaching her how to play, and Vanderlei's on the other side. And, and so the boys are whacking the ball back and forth, forth across the tennis court. It's hitting it hard. And the ball comes to her, and she just kind of hits it wherever she wants it to go. And she grabs another ball off the ground, and she throws it up, and she hits it wherever she wants it to go. And she takes another ball that's on the ground and she just hits it with her racket. And it's like, no, no, you can't do it. It doesn't work that way. And she says, well, what do you have to do? And I said, okay, here's how you serve. You toss the ball up and then you hit it. But it has to go across the net when you hit it. Can I just hit it really hard? No, you can't hit it really hard. It has to go in this box over here. Okay, well, when the ball comes to you, you can't hit it like this because then it's going to go really high and over out of the way. You got to hit it across like this. And after about three or four minutes of this, you can see she's getting frustrated. And finally, she takes a racket and she just throws it down. He's like, what are you doing? She's like, you know what? I just want to come out here and have fun. I don't want all this other stuff. <laughs> it's like, no, you, you have to learn how to play before you can have fun. This isn't fun anymore. And she went and sat down with her arms crossed. And as a good dad, I went over there and, and told her, get up. We're going to learn how to play tennis. And so we did. We hit the ball back and forth for a little bit. I thought, well, here's how you hit it and things like that. And we, it ended up being a, an okay time. I, w- I won't go so far as to say it was a fun time. It was an okay time. It was definitely a memorable time. Can we say that for sure? It's so funny. And maybe it's just the way that I think, but I thought to myself, this is so how so many people want to go at life, right? Hey, here's how you do life right. Well, I don't want all your rules. I just want to have fun. Well, here's how you live a life that's productive. I I don't want to live a productive life. I just want to have fun. Well, here's the rules of the game. I don't care what the rules of the game are. I'm making up my own rules because I just want to have fun. And when when they don't get their way, they throw the racket down and think that the system's broken, right? Many times you and I, when it comes to the Christian life, we don't want to play within the boundaries of the Christian life. We just want to have fun and do our own thing. It doesn't work that way. There's guidelines that are given to us as far as what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. Now, the problem is, is that the Judaizers thought that the law was where they found the good stuff in life. By keeping rules would bring them a sense of satisfaction. Uh, That's where we got messed up with some folks like the Pharisees and the Sadducees that Jesus had problem with uh, in the Gospels, where they thought that the end was rules and that the rules would bring satisfaction. As we look through this passage of Scripture here tonight, we see, first of all, that the law was meant to magnify our sinful condition Verse 24, wherefore, for this reason, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. The whole purpose of the law is to show you you're doing it wrong. These are the rules you have to follow and you have broken them. The law shows you how far you fall short of God's glory. It's easy for us to say, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we go, oh, amen, we've all messed up but oftentimes we don't realize how badly we've messed up. 
Oftentimes we have a difficult idea, uh, a difficult time actually uh, putting a weight on how bad our sinful condition is. Most people, when I share my faith with them, I ask them, I say, if you die today, you think you go to heaven? And most people, majority of people say, well, I hope so. I think so. I'm a pretty good person. Every now and then you come up across somebody who says, I know for sure I'm going to hell. It's like, oh, we can both agree on something then, right? <laughs> Some people just know, hey, I'm not a good person, never have been, and I, if there's a, if anybody going to hell, it's gonna be me. So most people though say, I'm a pretty decent person, and this is where the law is meant to show you you're not a good person, to show you the depths of your own sinfulness. You said, uh, I shared this quote last week, and I thought it was so powerful. I heard a man say uh, several weeks ago, the law is like an overbearing husband who points out the faults but never does anything to help. The law shows you, hey, you're doing it wrong. Hey, you're messing up over here. Hey, that was a lie, and that was wrong. Hey, that thought that you thought, you shouldn't have thought it. Hey, you lost your temper. Hey, you lost your cool. Hey, your heart's getting a little bit out of line over here. Hey, your heart's craving the things of the world, no longer the things of God. Hey, you're messed up here. But the law can't fix any of those things. It just shows you how bad off you are. I, I like watching sports that I don't understand. Sometimes to watch rugby on TV is, is fascinating. I don't understand the rules of rug, rugby. It's kind of like football, but nobody wears pads. Uh, somebody gets tackled and they fall down and then they toss the ball to somebody else and they keep running. I don't understand how it works, but it's fascinating to watch, right? I would be a terrible rugby player because I don't understand the rules. Lacrosse uh, baffles my mind because the ball moves so fast and you don't know who has it and who doesn't. Uh, and it, it's, it's such a quick game. And I don't understand the rules of lacrosse either. I get very, very confused. When it comes to life, many times people don't understand the rules, so the law makes it very simple for them to show you when you're wrong, when you've stepped out of bounds, makes it very clear. Um, some of you might be familiar with um, Ray Comfort and the, the Way of the Master. If you write that down, if you're taking notes in the, the corner there, take a look at some of their YouTube videos. Fascinating way to share your faith. Uh, Ray Comfort and um, uh, Kirk Cameron uh, do kind of like these man on the street interviews where they ask people, hey, if you died today, you think you're going to heaven? People go, oh, I think I saw a pretty good person. Say, would you say that you're a good person? They say, I would say that I'm a good person. And then they go through the 10 commandments and ask them how many of the 10 commandments that they've broken. And it's a fascinating thing to watch because you see people go from thinking they're a pretty good person to realizing they are an incredibly awful person when it comes to God's standards that they have set. And so when God gives us the Ten Commandments, we'll just run through those really quickly. Uh, have no other gods aside from our God. Has there ever been a time in your life where you put something ahead of God? Now, if you're taking notes, you don't have to write down the Ten Commandments, okay? I see some people getting their pens ready like, oh, I think I'm gonna write these down. They're in the Bible, okay? And if you don't know where to find them, tonight's a really good time to start, okay? Have there ever been a time where you put something above God? If so, then that makes you an idolater. That kind of handles number two as well. Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain, maybe used it as a curse word or said, oh my, and then said God's name? If so, the Bible calls that blasphemy. And so you're an idolatrous blasphemer, uh, keeping the Sabbath. Has there always been a time in your life where you set aside at least one day out of the week to worship the Lord and give to him and to him alone to rest and worship him? If not, you've broken the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Have you ever disobeyed your parents or did anything that caused them dishonor? If so, you're an idolatrous, blasphemous, Sabbath-breaking person who's disobedient to their parents. Do not murder. Most of us would say, I think I'm good, right? Finally, one of the Ten Commandments that I have not broken. Hang on for a second. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said this. 
If you look at your brother and you call him an ugly name and have hatred towards him in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart already. You see, Jesus isn't just concerned about the, the, uh, the sins that we commit. He's concerned about the sins that we think in our own mind. Our, our, our mind and our heart is just as guilty. So if you've ever looked at someone with hatred in your heart, the Bible says that you've basically committed murder. Show you're an idolatrous, blasphemous, Sabbath-breaking, disobedient to parents, murderer, and we keep going. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I always tell people this. Hey, I'm not gonna ask if you've broken this one or not, but here's what Jesus says. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And so chances are you're probably an adulterer as well. Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Most people, when they come to this, they say, never stolen a thing in my life, not even a stick of gum from the, the grocery store. Man, good for you. Has there ever been a time maybe in school or maybe in college where you looked on someone else's paper and you maybe used an answer that didn't belong to you or maybe you were writing a paper and, and you copied a little bit of a paragraph but failed to cite that in your footnotes or your works cited page and maybe you took that and it didn't really belong to you? I think that covers everybody. What do we call somebody who takes something that doesn't belong to them? A thief, right? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Have you ever told a lie before, regardless of how big or how small it was? Most people have. What do you call somebody who tells a lie? A liar. Have you ever looked at something that didn't belong to you and go, ooh, I could see myself having that, and in your heart just really committed to having that something, whether it's another man's wife or another man's house or another man's car or another person's job? If so, that's covetousness. So starting from the bottom, you're a covetous, lying, stealing, adulterous, murderous, disobedient, Sabbath-breaking, blasphemous idolater. So if God's keeping score in heaven, how well do you think you would rank? Do you still think you're a good person according to God's scorecard? I think all of us would say, we failed, 100% all the way through. There's not a single of the 10 commandments that we can keep in our own power. And so you see, where people get messed up is they think, if I can keep the 10 commandments, then I can go to heaven. And that's what these Judaizers are saying. Not only just the 10 commandments, all the other commandments in the Old Testament as well. So good that you're following Jesus, but you gotta keep all these commandments. And on top of that, all the ceremonial things that were even cultural at the time, Uh, circumcision and feast days and things along those lines. We look at this and we go, on my best day, if I stayed in bed till four o'clock in the afternoon, I got up only to eat and go back to bed, I might be able to keep a few of these, right? Maybe. But there's no way that we could keep this list. Great. Then you see how bad your sinful condition is. You see your heart's standing before God and it is woefully miserable and in great need of help. And that's why Paul says, The law was the schoolmaster. It was the teacher who says, hey guys, you're not doing good enough. You're not making the grade. You fall short of God's glory. And that's what the law did for us. You see, the law shows us the shortcomings of our own flesh. The law shows you that you cannot do it on your own. You're not good enough. You're not dedicated enough. You're not disciplined enough. There's no way in the world that you can do this on your own. Your flesh will fail you. 
Many times people think that their main problem with sin is just not being disciplined enough. I just gotta work a little bit harder and I'll get there. Friend, you can't work hard enough. Your flesh has limitations that are built in. The law also destroys the idea of pleasing God in our own flesh. The law shows me I probably couldn't keep 50% of the Ten Commandments. And so the idea that I could be good enough to please God in my own power is a preposterous idea. It just doesn't even make sense. And so the law shows Anthony his shortcomings of his own flesh and how good he thinks he is and shows him, even on my best day, I fall way short of God's expectations. I need help. I can't do it on my own. The law obliterates any form of self-righteousness. It's funny, sometimes people want to pick and choose on the Ten Commandments as far as what they want to follow and what they don't, or even God's laws and God's commandments. It's funny, people will, will be really serious about sexual purity, but they're not so concerned about the way that they talk or the, the language that they use. Some people are really hard, big time on doctrine. Man, I, and, hey, if there's anybody big on doctrine, it's this guy right here. Really big on doctrine, but not so big on anger. And they wouldn't know the love of Jesus if it came and smacked them across the face with a two by four because they're angry with their beliefs. That's not the spirit of Christ either. And so we can't pick and choose what we wanna follow from the Bible because then we create our own form of righteousness. The law says, no, you've fallen short. There's only one way to do it, and it's God's way. The book of James goes so far as to say this, that if any man offended in one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. That, hey, if you kept nine out of 10 commandments, you're still guilty before God, and you cannot please God in your flesh. So we really just see that we just don't cut the mustard. We don't make the grade. If the law is our schoolmaster, we have all received a failing grade. If we're in a court of law, the law declares us guilty before God. You didn't make it guilty. Well, what was the standard that I was supposed to meet? I'm glad you asked. God's law. I always loved it in, uh, when helping my kids with their school projects and stuff like that, when the teacher sent home a rubric. For those of you that, that are, are too old to remember this, what rubrics are is they list out your grade. You want 100 points, hit all of these categories, and this is how much this is worth, this is how much this is worth, this is how much that's worth. Because there's nothing more frustrating as a parent than to beat your brains in on your kids' projects and get back, and it's like a D. It's just like, what? Like an adult did this work, and you're giving it a D. Are you kidding me? You know you've done the same thing. So I love rubrics because they say, if you hit all of these categories, here's the grade you can expect. The law's done that for us. Hey, here's what's expected of you. Hit all these categories and you're winning. Miss one of the categories and you don't get a 90%, you get a 0%. And the stakes are a little bit higher than just getting a bad grade. You're declared guilty before God. And that's heavy. Keep your finger here in the book of Galatians. We're gonna come back in a second. We'll turn back to Romans chapter three, if you would. 
this passage in Galatians uh, correlates a lot with uh, a lot of the writings in the books of Book of Romans, uh, particularly Romans chapter three, uh, Romans chapter eight. Uh, a lot of overlap between these two uh, ideas and these two thoughts that we have. Romans chapter three, verse number nineteen. Actually, let's back up. Um, verse number ten. This is a really solid passage. And again, when somebody comes to try to say, well, I think I'm a pretty good person. I think I'll go to heaven because uh, I'm doing okay. Romans chapter three is a great place to bring them to. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of their way. Notice these all. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throats an open sepulcher with their tongue. They've used deceit, the poison of asps or snakes is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know those things that whatsoever the law saith, it saith unto them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. First number 19 says this, the law shuts down any argument that somebody's doing okay. That every mouth may be stopped. Think of it this way, somebody's given God their argument. Well, God, I think if you remember that one time and God's just like, hey, that's not necessary. Well, what about that one time? Nope, just shut it. That all mouths may be stopped. You don't have a word to offer here that could be of any consolation to God regarding your righteousness before him because the law has already proven you guilty from top to bottom. You've got no hope. And sometimes when sharing the gospel with people and helping people understand their eternal state, sometimes we have to show people their lost condition so that they recognize their need for a savior. Maybe you've shared the gospel with somebody or maybe you've heard it said before. I was sharing the gospel with a guy, but I couldn't get him lost so that he could get saved. What that means is I was trying to talk him through it and he seems to think he's okay because he's a good person. And again, there's some people, please understand this too. When you share your faith and you don't get this, the uh, result that you want, you don't see somebody saved right away, don't always automatically think that it's your fault. Think about it this way. Jesus himself shared truth with people to their face and they rejected him. <laughs> if people can reject Jesus looking him in the eyeball, what makes you think that you're such a, a great persuader that you can convince people who haven't seen Jesus face to face? So many times the problem in people not accepting Christ isn't the, the person, the messenger, let's say. Oftentimes it's the message. People don't want to hear what they don't want to hear. But you sin before God, you're guilty before God, you have no excuse before God. And even when people say, I'm a pretty good person, I try to run through the Ten Commandments off the top of my head and figure out, are you still really a good person? Because the law will show them that they're not. Turn back to Galatians chapter three, if you would. <laughs> verse 24 wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith but after faith is come we're no longer under a schoolmaster you see faith in Jesus releases it from the burden of the law 
I've never checked how I'm doing against the Ten Commandments, ever. You know why? Because that's no longer my scorecard. I don't measure how I'm doing spiritually against the law any longer. Now, we need to be really careful with this because there's a certain um, group in Christianity who'd say this, praise God, we're released from the law, so it doesn't matter how we live. I can live ever how I want to because I'm no longer under God's rules. I'm now under God's grace instead. And it swings the pendulum the opposite way. You see, there's two wrong views when it comes to the grace of God and the law. One of those is legalism, which is what Paul's struggling with here. Keep all these rules, otherwise you're not really a Christian. And here's the bummer. I've been around people that fall in that category. (gasps) You own a television set? Are you sure you're a Christian? (laughs) Yeah, because last time I checked, the Bible didn't say anything about that. (gasps) Are you kidding? You let your kids play in a baseball league out in town? Are you sure you're a Christian? Because... Christians should only play baseball with other Christians. Really? Wow, okay. Wasn't aware of that. (gasps) Are you sure you're a Christian because X? That's legalism. Somebody's cooked up their own list of rules that you need to follow to be a good Christian, and if you don't meet the rules, you're probably not saved. Dangerous. Run from it. But here's the same thing. Protect your own heart against it too. Because many times, if we're not careful, we can be Pharisees. Oh, that couple living together, they're probably not even saved. Shame on them. Careful with that. Because Paul goes on to say, hey, such were some of you before you knew Christ or knew where you, what you know now. Be careful with that. So legalism is one ugly side of this. If you don't meet all of the rules and criteria that we set, you're probably not saved. But then the other side of that, the ugly side on the opposite end, is what we sometimes refer to as antinomianism, which means no law. Hey, do what you want to. You're forgiven. If you want to live with your girlfriend, that's fine. God forgives sin. That's what grace is for. Hey, you're involved in a same-sex relationship. That's fine. No big deal. That's what grace is for. God loves you right where you are. Hey, you can't hold a job and you're dishonest and, and you lie all the time and you're late all the time. You have no character. That's fine. God loves you and you're messed up way that you are. Oh, you struggling with pornography? No sweat. God knows where you're at and in his time, he'll deliver you. Brother, just hang in there. It's fine. It's not a big deal. Antinomianism says you don't have to change. And unfortunately, where this leads is to to pastors who uh, glamorize drinking alcohol, churches where they have men's get-togethers like we had on Friday night that they have a keg of beer to sit around and have beers while we talk about the Bible together. Because, hey, it's our Christian liberty. We can do that if we want to. And if anybody doesn't like it, then they're probably not saved. Mm. Stop. Stop. There is a middle road here. That's what Paul's talking about here. Hey, we're not under the law anymore. But that doesn't mean we can live up for how we want to. Romans chapter 6, critical, critical. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Just because I'm forgiven of my sin doesn't mean I'm gonna keep living in it. How stupid is that? Paul says in Romans chapter six, hey man, you've been set free from that. Why do you wanna go back to it? 
Now, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, just as a dog returns to its own vomit, so a man returns to his own folly. So a fool returns to his own folly. You're a fool if you go back to the sin that you've been set free from. <laughs> I said something the other day. We were, um, oh, I cannot remember. I think we were walking past the park. No, I was at the gym. That's where I was at. I was at the gym. And these people had brought their dogs into the gym. They were running around having fun and playing and stuff like that. And one dog threw up and the other dog ran over and started eating it. And I was just like, oh, my soul, I think I'm going to throw up. You know, I thought I was going to throw up. It was like, oh. And so these, these people are like trying to get their dogs away. Like, no, no, no. And somebody trying to clean up all the vomit and stuff like that. And I thought, oh, this is disgusting. But again, this is just how my mind is. This is what the world has come to. Somebody vomits, and then they put it on Instagram, and everybody likes it. Oh, this is awesome. Did you see that guy? Did you see it? It was so green. Oh, it was incredible. And I thought to myself, not actual vomit, but you get the idea, right? We see another person do something stupid, and everybody's like, this is awesome. Paul says, you've been delivered from that sin. Why would you want to go back to that? Why would you want to live that way? And so the faith in Jesus Christ releases us from the burden of the law, but it releases us not to have our scorecard against our performance to the law. My scorecard at now is my dedication to the work of Jesus Christ. That's what I measure myself against. How am I doing in comparison to Jesus? If the goal of my life is to be like Christ, which it is, if the goal of my life is to have my life conform to the image of Christ, Romans chapter 12, that's what it is, then that's my new scorecard. Compared to Jesus, how am I doing? Faith in Jesus also brings us into God's family. This is beautiful. Verse 26. If you're the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. We'll get into this next week when we break open chapter four, but he begins to talk about this uh, We've been given the spirit of adoption because we've been adopted into God's family. Faith is what brings us into God's family. This is critical because some, again, portions of Christianity and some uh, portions of just world religion say that we're all God's creation, so we're all in God's family. Sometimes referred to as the brotherhood of man, that we're all brothers together in God's big family that he's created. Are we all God's creation? Yes. Are we all God's family? No, we're not. Jesus tells the Pharisees, you're of your father, the devil. Paul says that we were the children of wrath and children of disobedience. Uh, Romans chapter five says that we were the enemies of God. No, we're not born into God's family. We're placed into God's family based on faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the law could never place you into God's family. Keeping a list of rules and being really religious couldn't put you into God's family. The only thing that could put you into God's family was faith in Jesus Christ. The, uh, verse number 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It's important to understand what verse 27 means and what it doesn't mean. Next Sunday, we'll have a baptism service following the uh, morning service. We got six people signed up to be baptized. It's gonna be awesome. I'm super pumped about it. <laughs> but the baptism that's taking place, we're not uh, baptizing them into Christ. They were baptized into Christ when they accepted Christ as Savior. Now, it's important to understand what the word baptized means. The word baptized means fully immersed or fully covered. 
That's why when we baptize, we baptize all the way under the water by immersion because it's a biblical way of baptism. Sprinkling or pouring water over someone's head is not a biblical mode of baptism. It's just not the way that works and it doesn't picture anything. When we baptize next week in what we call believer's baptism, we're picturing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of what Jesus Christ has already done for us. Taking a cup of water and dumping it over somebody's head doesn't picture anything at all. Baptizing a, a baby who knows nothing about the, the scriptures doesn't signify anything at all. But the baptism is speaking of here is not necessarily believer's baptism. Being baptized into Christ means being completely immersed by Christ. This means I'm covered head to toe by Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Is that like a separate thing that we do? No, the moment that you got saved, you were baptized, fully immersed, fully covered, fully clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and you are covered by Christ. Believer's baptism, where we take people and baptize them in water is a symbolism of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a symbolism of the fact that we are in Christ together. But the actual immersion in Christ takes place the moment that you got saved. Sometimes people, uh, especially uh, those of a Pentecostal persuasion, will talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit like it's also a separate thing that takes place. Hey, the moment that you trusted Christ as Savior, the moment that I trusted Christ as Savior, we were fully immersed by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit resides in us now. So we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's in the Bible, but it happens to every believer at the moment of salvation. Paul says, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, there's one reason why, because you're not saved. And if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. So sometimes, again, if you're talking to, to folks from, from a, a different uh, background or a different religious uh, system or uh, something along those lines, or maybe just a misunderstanding of how the Holy Spirit works, we'll say, well, have you trusted Christ as Savior? I have. Have you received the Holy Spirit? <laughs> yes, I have, because it's a package deal, and you can't have one without the other. Then, generally, the next question that comes is, have you ever manifested the Holy Spirit? And you can say, yes, I have. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, meekness, goodness, faith. Yes, I have. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that's what the Bible tells us. So again, in this case here, when you are baptized into Christ, this is Christ fully immersing you. As you've been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And that makes us, again, verse number 26 is so beautiful. For all you are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. I, lo I loved what Anton said as he gave his testimony. He said, you know, now that we're living our life different now, we want to spend time with other people that are also in Christ as well. And he didn't say Christians or people who believe what we believe. He says people that are in Christ. Because the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. Man, there's something special about being in Christ. Uh, almost this year, instead of our theme for launch out, our theme was almost in Christ. And I was gonna preach through the passages in the Bible that say in Christ. But you know what I realized? I wouldn't have enough time in a full calendar year to preach through every passage that says in Christ because there's so much there. It's so good who we are in Jesus Christ. What put us there? Our good behavior, our adherence to the law, the keeping of rules, none of that, faith. 
that's it. That's the beautiful part about this. Jesus brings unity for all those in the family of faith. I love verse number 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Unity, family. You see, faith removes ethnic and cultural division. It's happened more than once at Hui Kala. We've either gotten an email or a phone call from somebody who says, hey, uh, I was just wondering, uh, we have a mixed family and is it okay for our, church, our family to attend your church? They email back and says, what is a mixed family? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Well, uh, you know, I, I'm black and my wife's white. And you're wondering if it's okay for you to come to church? Uh, yes. Do we, have to, do we have to answer that question? Evidently we do. Because there are, oh, this is ugly. I don't even want to sh- know if I want to share it, but I'll share it. There's some churches who believe everyone should marry their own kind. And it's just like, there is one kind. It's called the human race. There's one race, the human race. Simple as that. Now, I think it's fun to know what, what people's background is sometimes, you know, especially if somebody has a really cool name. I got stuck with a boring name like Anthony, you know. If you got a really cool name, I want to know what kind of name that is or uh, what your background is or where you grew up or something like that. But at the end of the day, I don't care what your cultural or ethnic backgrounds are because you're my brother or sister in Christ. Simple as that. And, and again, here at Huikala, we don't have a group of Koreans that get together and eat, and eat Korean food and exclude everybody else. We don't. You know, if you're Korean, share your kimchi with everybody. That's what you should do, right? I mean, seriously, if you're Filipino, everybody loves lumpia. Share it with everybody. We're not going to have your own, your own little fellowship that you have, right? Like, seriously, we're not going to have a, you know, Hispanic get-together over at somebody's house and all the white people can't come. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's funny to us to talk about that, but did you know there are churches here in Honolulu that have a Hispanic ministry? And that's what they do. They get together every Friday night and they have a Bible study and they, they, they pray in Spanish and they eat Hispanic food and nobody else gets to come. It, and again, if they don't speak English, I understand that, but I'm talking folks that are just part of the body of Christ. They say, well, it's more comfortable with me around these people. Show me in the book of Acts chapter number two where it was comfortable for these people the way that they lived their life. The Bible says they just had everything in common. They just became family because they didn't have any family. And I think that's what makes who we call us so strong is we're family here. And it's an easy family to break into. All you got to do is just keep showing up. You're just automatically part of the family. It works that way. How did that happen? It's funny, sometimes people say, uh, you know, Pastor, we've got a really good thing going on. You know, I like the way that you've gotten everybody together and based on all their diverse backgrounds, they're just kind of all unified. Like that was my idea, right? Read the Bible, it's God's idea. There's neither Jew nor Greek anymore. We're together in Christ. And Paul says to the Judaizers, you're not Jews anymore. And these guys over here, they're not Greeks anymore. We're part of the body of Christ. We're brothers and sisters now. He goes on to say uh, that it removes any type of social division. There's neither bond nor free. This is unique in the Bible times because slaves were property. They were owned by someone. They weren't considered real people. And he says, there's neither bond nor free. When it comes to Jesus' family, we don't look at who belongs to who or anything like that. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. For you, the book of Philemon, uh, Paul even uh, speaks of a man by the name of Onesimus who was a runaway slave, and he, he wrote his slave owner, Philemon, and says, Philemon, receive him back, but don't receive him back as a slave. Receive him back as your brother in Christ this time. 
You know why? Because the gospel obliterates any type of social divisions that we might have. <laughs> the thing I love about Hui College is that we have people from every different imaginable culture here. We have people from so many different types of, of life experience here, so many different types of jobs and backgrounds and things along those lines here. But we're all together united as one. Why? Because Jesus is the only person that could do that. Faith removes any type of gender division, neither male nor female. Now, again, this passage has been misinterpreted by some to say, uh, well, then women can, can serve in leadership capacities as far as pastoring or, or deacons in churches and things along those lines. Women can have uh, uh, positions where they teach men. You read the, the, the full context of the Bible. Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy, can't do that. Women shouldn't have authority over men. They shouldn't teach men. Uh, the office of a pastor reserved only for men. Uh, Paul says, 1 Timothy chapter number three, qualifications of a pastor there. This is not saying that it doesn't matter. Again, we're talking biblical times here. Women were property. They didn't have a voice. And you say, oh, that's a terrible thing. Hey, 100 years ago in America, women were property. They didn't have a voice. They couldn't vote. They couldn't talk. They couldn't do anything. And Paul's saying, that's not the case. We're not gonna treat women that way. Paul was thousands of years ahead of his time. When he says, we're gonna treat women as our equal, as our sisters, we're gonna love them like family and care for them and protect them and provide for them and treat them as valued members of our family. And the gospel does away with the idea that women would be any type of a lesser person than men. You see, the gospel, first of all, the law declares us all guilty on the same level but the gospel declares us all forgiven on the same level as well. The law and the gospel together are the great equalizers when it comes to society, uh, the church, the way that we function. It brings order to the chaos. Final thought, verse number 29, it kind of sums up this idea of, of Abraham. And if you be in Christ, if you be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All who have their faith in Jesus are heir to the promise given to Abraham. If you remember Abraham's promise, land, seed, blessing. We call that the Abrahamic covenant. The blessing was that in all nations would be blessed through Abraham. And he said in verse 29, you and I are those people who are blessed through Abraham and we are the promise of the seed that was given to Abraham and because we are in Christ. <laughs> also, if you, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Let's see, verse number, verse number 16 in our passage here, Galatians 3, 16. Now Abraham and his seed, singular, where the promise is made, he saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one to thy seed, which is Christ. This is, this is big if you can wrap your head around it. Verse 16, he's saying, the promise was given to the seed of Abraham, singular, not seeds. Not all of Abraham's descendants was this promise given to, but it was given to one seed, that was Jesus Christ, verse number 16, right? If we skip down to verse 29, it says this, and if you be Christ's, then ye are Abraham's seed, singular there. And now you are heirs together with the promise. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying that if you are Christ's, then you are in Christ, one with Christ. And if you can latch onto that, that'll make your head explode. You're not just a part of a group of people that belong to Christ. You are one with Christ. You are in Christ. And you've received the promise that was given to Abraham thousands of years ago because we've received it through 
the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The law just shows us how bad a people we are. The law just shows you what you could never accomplish on your own, what you could never be on your own, and the fact that there's nothing you could ever possibly do to earn your way to heaven or earn a right standing before God. But the gospel came and said, Jesus is enough. He has fulfilled the law and has made you righteous by faith alone. That's all you need. So how do we, how do we live this out this week? Again, important to understand that our worth to God is not based on our performance. We need to check our own heart and make sure that we don't become accidental Pharisees. We begin pointing out the fault in everybody else and how they should do it the way that we should, the way that we do it. I don't read a lot of news because the news just makes me mad. I see how messed up the world is and then I wanna point fingers at people and tell how they're doing it wrong. I can't afford that. I just wanna work on me and then share the love of Christ that I have with other people and try to make a difference with every person that I can. And I wanna live every single day remembering that I'm forgiven based on the work of Christ on the cross. Every day is a new opportunity to live under grace. Be careful that you don't swing to the Pharisee side. Follow all these rules, you're not a real Christian. Be careful that we don't swing to the antinomian side where it's fine, God will forgive you, it's not a big deal. Just continue to live in your sin. It's not that big of a deal, grace covers all. We wanna live in the middle. Hey, God's grace is available if I need it, but by the grace of God, I'll need it less. Progress in sanctification, being more Christ-like. Let's live for Jesus this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.